good on you, St Vincent's Health Australia. This is really Catholic healthcare. This is really the healing ministry of Christ, doing what we do best, caring, caring for people. I, I, I'd just like to congratulate them on, on their wonderful uh, caring and compassion and the mission is continuing and I would just ask them to really take care of themselves so that they can continue as they do so selflessly and with such joy that living of the joy of the gospel and caring for all who come needing love and needing care. Welcome to Compassion, Courage, Consolation, Voices for St Vincent's during COVID-19. In this podcast, we're talking to people who love St Vincent's, love our staff and love the service we provide in health and aged care. We're doing this to support our compassion for one another and those we serve, to bolster our courage in this extraordinary time and to provide consolation amidst the challenges we're facing. And whilst prepared for St Vincent's, we're sharing this series with anyone who might find it helpful. If you're joining us from outside of our services, consider yourself part of the family. You're very welcome indeed. My name is Dan Fleming. I lead ethics and formation for St Vincent's. And in this episode, it's a real honour for me to welcome Sister Claire Nolan, who's Congregational Leader of the Sisters of Charity. Sister Claire, welcome. It's really great to be talking with you. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you, Dan. It's wonderful to be with you. Sister Claire, I wonder if you could start us off in in this conversation by telling us a bit about yourself and especially your wonderful history of ministry through your vocation as a Sister of Charity. Look, Dan, I have to confess I'm a Queenslander. So I was (laughs) born in Killarney in Queensland, one of eight children. Um, My dad was a policeman, so um, we had the wonderful joy of moving from country place to country place. Uh, But Dad died, um, leaving Mum with seven children to rear. And uh, my mother, she was a very ordinary but very courageous uh, person. The best thing would have been for Mum to stay with the community that loved her, that supported us when Dad died, that cared for Dad while he was so ill and everything. But she made this big... um, courageous step to come to Brisbane because uh, especially the girls in the family she wanted us to be well educated and to have the opportunity to choose a profession that we would be absolutely committed to she was uh, one of 12 children and she was the second eldest and they had a dairy farm in um, outside Kalani in Warwick and um, and uh, so they had to be on the farm and work with their father on the farm you know so so mum had this great desire because when dad died um, she felt because she didn't have a profession that um, she was quite disadvantaged and all she wanted for us was to have good education and to be able to choose a profession so um, I had that wonderful love and that wonderful security um, of of both my parents. But when Dad died, you know, things were very hard for Mum. But we never, ever once felt that we weren't safe mm-hmm. and that we weren't loved and given every opportunity we could be given to look at 
you know, the profession that we wish to choose. So I was educated by the Sisters of Charity at Mount St. Michael's in um, Brisbane. And then I choose to go to the Martyr Hospital in Brisbane to do my nurse training. Mm. So that's the Sisters of Mercy in Brisbane. And I had four wonderful years doing my nurse training at um, the Martyr in Brisbane. And then I, all my friends were either getting engaged, going to Melbourne or Tasmania or wherever to do their midwifery. And here I was thinking, oh, my goodness, where am I going? What's happening to me? And um, I was actually on night duty at the Martyr in Brisbane and um, I was, you know, I was a bit confused and a bit anxious and Mum kept on saying, where are you going to do your midi? What are you going to do? You know, and I'm saying, oh, I don't know, Mum, and I don't know, you know. And she said, I've, I've, I've never known you to be unsure about what you wish to do. So I had this, I went into the chapel, which was a very unusual thing for me to do. And I felt that, um, oh my goodness, uh, I love nursing. I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have called it in those days the healing ministry of Christ, but I love nursing and I love the healing ministry of Christ. And they were the four happiest years um, so far in my life. Um, I was 21. I had, you know, male relationships and the world was my oyster, oyster yet, yet, yet I was unsettled. So I thought I would... Um, in the chapel, I felt, oh, don't tell me. Um, maybe I'd like to dedicate my life to God so that I could do nursing forever. Wow. <laughs> that, 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 that just sounds um, an incredible thought um, for me because I was a bit of a joker. Um, and I thought, and, and, and it stayed with me. I, I went to a couple of congregations just to have a yarn to people and I thought, no, no. That's, this is really not what I want to do, you know. And, but it stayed with me. So I went off to the Sisters of Charity at Ashgrove um, and I knocked on the door and a sister came out and I said I'd love to have a yarn to her. And I had a yarn to her about what was happening with me in my life. And um, I also had a mother who said, to me, this wonderful mother, who said to us all, not only to me, my brothers and sisters as well, um, I, you know, I wouldn't be happy for any of you to join religious life or the priesthood unless you're 21 and I haven't got any say in it. Now, we don't know till this day why <laughs> mum made that comment to us. None of us know. <laughs> but she made that comment. So I was a bit anxious, you know, about even having the thought. I was 21 though. And... Um, so this sister, Sister Gemma it was actually, that I was speaking with, she said, look, Mother General is coming up um, in a few weeks or a few months or whatever she said to me. Um, why don't you come back and have a talk with her? And I said, oh, okay, I'll think about it, you know. And Mother General came up, Mother St Agnes Skews, and I had a yarn to Mother St Agnes Skews and uh, there was a, a group going in in July and I entered the Sisters of Charity mm. in that July. So, uh, you know, um, I've, I've had my struggles, uh, especially in the novitiate, um, but from 
really from the day I was professed um, until this very day. I just thank God for that wonderful, for my vocation, but especially for um, the opportunities and the commitment that I had been involved with with regard to the healing ministry of Christ. We, after we were professed, we did 12 months theology um, down at, um, oh, at North Sydney, actually. Mm. And in that time, the, the people who weren't um, trained as teachers and nurses, um, they did their training. So I used to have the wonderful opportunity on the weekend to go over to our older sisters at Potts Point and to care for them. And I loved that. I, I just found out so much about religious life and their stories and that sort of thing. And then my first move was up to St Vincent's Private um, in Sydney. And then I've been in all of our health and aged care ministries um, until today. Wow. Yes. What so a, it's, been, it's just been a great journey. What a wonderful story, Sister Claire. And it all starts in Queensland. And we have quite a few listeners to the podcast up at our facilities and in the community in Queensland. So they're going to love, yeah. love hearing yeah. this. I have to say hello to my friends in Toowoomba. Oh, great. I'm sure, yes, yeah. there'll be cheers as they, they broadcast <laughs> this up there. Sister Claire, it's been an incredible journey for all of us over these past few months. What's been your experience of the pandemic? And how have the sisters been keeping during this time? Look, Dan, it, it, you're, you're so right. It has been an incredible journey. So early um, March, I came back from holidays in February. Early March, we had our two days um, planning, strategic planning, myself and, and my counsellors uh, looking at, and we were planning to have our, congregational chapter in September and myself and the councillors were due to conclude our ministry in leadership in December this year. Mm. So we're in the first day of our strategic planning and, and, and the first thing that had to happen, it was our first Zoom meeting because our facilitator, Sister Margaret Endicott, Sister of Mercy, um, contacted me and she said, Claire, I'm not coming to Sydney to do the planning days. And I said, oh, no, I guess not. And our chapter facilitator is Sister Karen Donlan, another Sister of Mercy from Melbourne, uh, from Ballarat. And, and she contacted me and said, Claire, I've got a mother almost 100. I'm not coming up to Sydney for the planning days. And I said, no, of course not. <laughs> so we'll have to do Zoom. Mm. It took us two hours to get onto that Zoom the morning. So I had uh, um, the councillors and myself, uh, one councillor, Sister Suzette in Queensland, Sister Kate in, in uh, Victoria and Sister Margaret Byrne and myself here, here in Sydney. And by the end of that first day, we said, we can't do chapter. Oh, wow. So the requirement for chapter is that we are together, that we are mm. conversing together. And... We had we had received this documentation that um, for not only could we not do chapter, but we couldn't do it before December when we were due to finish. Mm. So it meant 
that we made the decision, oh my goodness, got onto Sister Mary Wright, the canon lawyer, mm. and told Mary of our of, of our dilemma and she said, no, you can't. Chapters are being cancelled all over the world. She said, you can't um, do chapter in Rome, says this, um, until there's a vaccine um, bound. And I said, oh, Mary, that means we'll have to go on until at least March next year. And, you know, Dan, I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe how in that very short time we had planned, you know, finishing in December, this is what we'll do, we'll clean this up, we'll do that. And we were having, we had all our chapter meetings planned. So we had to, so this was early March. Um, and then the second day we talked about how we could do chapter differently mm. so then we had to communicate with the sisters which we did do before easter and then we looked very much at how we were going to do this differently and at our last chapter that was that we came away with a mandate to do chapter differently in 2020 mm. and i think that was quite prophetic we didn't realise it at the time. But I think it was quite prophetic. And we have been working over the last five years and on, on contemplative dialogue and what's God calling us to now. And we've had some very, very rich times. But how how were we going to do it now? So we've set up our, our own Sisters of Charity online portal. And the first thing that we've been working at is reviewing our constitutions, which was a mandate from our last chapter. So each Friday, we're into our third Friday now, we've had at least 66 sisters on the portal and we've been doing contemplative dialogue with our, um, with our sisters on various chapters of our constitutions. It has been so rich, wow. so rich. And, you know, our average age is 79 years of age. And we have got 66 sisters tuning in every week, communicating, discussing the questions, reflecting and giving the feedback. Ah, our sisters are so smart. <laughs> Just so, I'm so proud of them. And also we've had our staff working from home. So I've been here in the office. It's been very hard, um, the isolation. It's been especially for our sisters who are in care mm. or in independent living. However, we've had wonderful care from St Vincent's Care Services. We've had our own sisters who were able to go do shopping, caring for each other, looking after the neighbours. Um, you know, Richard Raw says this is a sabbatical time, mm. you know, for us and... Um, and now our sister's dying, you know, we've been able to stream their, their funerals and the family and ourselves have been just so enriched by that of, of, of um, sharing the story. But the other thing about the coronavirus, and I don't want to take up all our time on the coronavirus, but when it was first um, uh, shared with us, um, I thought back to, well, when, when there was the depression, mm. uh, the Sisters of Charity decided because it was a need in Victoria to establish a hospice, Caritas Christi hospice, mm. like it was depression. There was no money, there was nothing, but 
they believed in divine providence. They got their lay people to work with them, their, their um, colleagues, and they established that beautiful hospice. They had no money. They had nothing. And then I thought back to the, um, to the Spanish flu and um, St Vincent's here. Um, you know, there's this wonderful story where I think um, it was Mother Canis Bruton. I'd better check make sure I've got the right name. Um, Mother Gertrude Healy. Um, she was the mother rectress here in the Spanish flu. Mm. And I read this article that Anne Cook, uh, um, the archivist at um, St Vincent's Hospital, uh, had written. And um, Mother Gertrude saw what was happening she immediately, she immediately said, I must empty the public hospital wards and set them up mm. for people who've got the Spanish flu. She said all surgery will be done at the private hospital at St Vincent, Sydney, and we will not charge anyone. She then got sisters from the hospice, Sacred Heart Hospice, from the public hospital and some of our teaching sisters from Paddington and she set up a home care, home care service at Paddington in Sydney to go into the homes and those sisters used to wash and clean and care for the very poor people which Paddington was in those mm. days. So I was thinking, wow. What can we do now? This is what this is our heritage. What can we do now? And um, I had to meet with our advisory finance committee because St Vincent's um, Health Australia need to, needed to draw down some borrowings um, to make themselves ready mm. for the coronavirus. And um, of course, that's. That's the, the trustees of the Sisters of Charity. We had to look at all of this and we were prepared to waive all the requirements that was needed to be waived. And I thought and I shared with the sisters, this is what we can do now. Mm. We can support um, St Vincent's Health Australia to ensure that they've got everything they need to address this situation at this time to ensure that the staff are safe, that the families are safe, that we've got all the right doctors and right nurses and aged care, they're fine with their bonds and with all of this sort of thing. This is what we can do now and we can. Our sisters, a lot of them work with the um, refugees, the detainees, so we've supported the Jesuit Refugee Service mm. and the Brigidine Sisters down in Melbourne um, to ensure because they get nothing. Mm. They get nothing um, and nobody is giving them any grants or anything, but just to assure that we can help as we can do. And our sisters are marvellous going out with food packages, helping to, to do whatever we can do to ensure that the poor and needy of today are being cared for. So, um, you know, from I said to the chair, lovely Loretta Domenko of our um, advisory finance committee, that I was feeling, what can we do? Because this is what we've been able to do. But then when she said, but Sister Claire, you tell us what you want to do and we'll make sure that you can do it. And I said, well, this is what we want to do and this is what the sisters would want to do to ensure, and not only St Vincent's Health Australia, but our education mm. facilities and um, other 
ministries that Mary Aikenhead Ministries are involved in. Mm, wow, isn't it? It just fills my heart with such joy hearing yeah. all of that. <laughs> I mean, and, the the and nimbleness it all happened within weeks. <laughs> <laughs> but the nimble nimbleness of the sisters to change the way you're operating as a congregation and the way in which that's born new fruit and everything—it's just just remarkable. And then obviously this call to mission and how mission can be supported at this time it's just it echoes so much of the story that we all love and that was something I wanted to ask you sister Claire in terms of your own deep and rich knowledge of the stories of the sisters ministry in Australia is there a particular story that comes to mind for you as an example of courageous and compassionate care in difficult circumstances like the one we're in now Yes, um, well, there's all, all, all of those that I've just shared. But, you know, Dan, I go back to those first five sisters. <laughs> mm. I, I just think their story, you know, um, their difficulties when, when they arrived and how they were treated and but their absolute steadfastness about we're here for the poor, for the marginalised, we're here to read the signs of the times, you know, those sisters going down to Tasmania, two up here, three down there, you know, our congregation being divided and then coming back together again. Mother Frances McGuigan, you know, um, she was mother uh, congregational leader for many, many, many years. She took the congregation from a few to over 200, you know. She was like the Mary Aikenhead of Australia. Um, mm. So I think, you know, I'm I'm overwhelmed each day. You know that ex- expression, we stand on the shoulders of all those who go before mm. us. And we so do that. Every individual sister has her gift has her talent, shares it so generously, you know, and it's all driven by um, being a follower of Jesus but really being Jesus, being Jesus in their time, in our time, you know, and um, I was reading, um, I think it was um, Pentecost um, Around that time, um, I read an article entitled, Who Would You Choose, Jesus or the Spirit? And it invited us to reflect that it's not enough for us to be with Jesus. We must become Jesus. Mm -hmm. And we can only do that with the power of the Spirit. So that, you know, I shared that with the sisters and and that really touches us deeply. And that's where we are in religious life now, you know. We don't have to run the hospitals. We don't have to run the education facilities. We, you know... But who are we now? We're the deep listeners. Mm. We're the women who, who, who've got time to um, sit with, have the deep listening, women of action, do the, do the caring thing, do the little thing. You know, um, some of our sisters are writing the, uh, the stories of, of those sisters who've gone before us, those early sisters who've gone before us. And their, their courage, their compassion mm. and, and their commitment, it's outstanding. But as I said to one of the sisters who was sharing with me um, about it, because she's one of the writers, I said, and, and, and we're still doing it today. Mm. We're still doing it today. But the lovely thing is 
I feel for us, we haven't got that um, that huge responsibility of being in charge of hospitals or or, or schools or whatever. Um, we've got this great privilege of being able to support you, mm. to support our leaders and our ordinary workers and our disadvantaged, we've got the ability and the time and the commitment to ensure that you people are supported, that you know the story and that you continue the story. That's wonderful. And Sister Claire, one of the things that's come up a few times during this pandemic as we've sought to continue the mission is echoes of St Vincent's frontline work, especially during the HIV AIDS epidemic. And you were actually on the front line working in the clinical space at that time. Could you tell me and those listening a bit about what that was like and perhaps what lessons about the mission in action you learnt during those very difficult times? Yes, yes. Um, so I was the director of nursing at, at um, St Vincent, Sydney, and um, Professor Ron Penny, who only died recently, darling man, rest in peace, he'd been over to a conference in Haiti and he came back to the board at um, St Vincent's and said, there's this disease um, and it's coming to Australia and we don't know what it is and it's affecting certain people and uh, St Vincent's needs to be ready for it. St Vincent's Hospital, public hospital, needs to be ready for it. The board, we'd never heard of it. The board was saying, but what sort of a disease? And he, and he, Ron had just come back. It was his first conference, you know. It, it wasn't the conference that he went to. He was an immunologist. But this had, had come in. So the board said, yes, well, whatever it means. Sister Mari Haram was the sister administrator. Mari's up in heaven with all our saints now. Um, and so the board, along with Mari Haran and myself and the doctors and the nurses, we all formed a little group to work together and we received our first uh, patient who, who came from um, overseas with um, HIV AIDS. Mm. And we'd never seen such a sick person. I'd never seen such a sick person. And our, you know, our doctors... Um, and our nurses and our domestic staff, you know, um, we were all gloved and, you know, the infection control um, was really, really hard. But husbands were saying to wives, stay at the hospital during the week and just come home on the weekend and wash yourself with Lysol. Like there was so much fear and there was so much um, anxiety but so much commitment to these people are, are human beings, they're individuals. Parents didn't know that their sons were gay. Mm. They, not only did they, were they trying to come to grips with this, but their darling son was dying. And, um, you know, they, oh, it was, it was such a tough time. Mm. But, it, it, you know, even in, in, in sorting out how many beds we would have, for people with AIDS, you know, and the surgeons didn't want to lose their beds and the physicians didn't want to lose their beds. But once one, our hearts were touched because some of our own 
became very sick mm. with HIV AIDS. You know, people we knew, people we loved, our friends, our sons, our daughters, our uh, um, doctor friends, you know, and um, we, we wanted to give all that we could, everything that we could. I remember Christmas Day um, and there was this very, very sick man and he had HIV AIDS and he was in a single room, you know, and they used to have um, artificial cups and, oh, it was terrible, you know, it was just, but that's, we didn't know. So that's what we did. And um, I said to him, I've got, I had a little bottle of champagne and um, I said to him, would you like some champagne? Oh, he said, I'd love it. And I said, what about we have a little bit each? And he's in, in the parastyrene <laughs> mugs, you know. And I said, and he said, oh, I hope it's okay for you. I hope it's okay for you, sister. And I said, it's okay. It's okay for both of us. And we, we, we had a toast, you know, just, just, just to life and to loving and to, um, because his parents were finding it very, very hard um, to come to grips with everything and weren't accepting of his partner at all. And he knew he was dying and he was determined not to die until at least he could get his partner and um, his parents to get to, together. And, he, and it happened. It happened on the day that he died morning just just it just happened it just happened they were there together and then that afternoon he died so the you know there were lots of stresses and strains on on the staff and the doctors but it was the human touch once again that was the really most important thing and the acceptance of uh, like, like we weren't used to having partners sitting at the end of the bed so you know we were used to having everything all nice and and gentle and and our sacred heart hospice you know um it, it, a lot of the um the people with aids were going over there to die and so a lot of the other patients that were there with families were very fearful that um the gay community was coming into the hospice so you know we, it, it was huge and we had to form staff and we had to form ourselves and we had to talk to relatives um, but but somehow with that sharing that love tenderness and concern of Christ um, people were able to die feeling that people cared mm. and um, and and it was an amazing it, it was just an amazing experience um, for us all but I tell you Dan we were different people because of it and it was such a privilege to be there at that time. But once again, we, we, we didn't know what was going to happen mm. from day to day. Mm. We just didn't know. It's extraordinary. I mean, it's such an incredible piece of Australian history, let alone St oh. Vincent's history and the history of the sisters, that you carved out this space of beauty and healing in the face of such trauma and desperation and fear as well. Yes, and, you know... Um, we had a fellow from New Zealand and Air, um, Qantas wouldn't take him back and Air New Zealand wouldn't take him back, you know. it was, And all he wanted to do was to go home mm. to die, you know. Eventually Air New Zealand had to take him back and they did. But, but you know, a whole plane for one wow. person. Wow. 
Wow. Yeah. Wow. Sister Claire, um, the one of the the as- beautiful aspects of the the many beautiful aspects for the charism of the Sisters of Charity is that you're contemplatives in action, and a lot of people know and love your action work, and they see it out there in public, and they hear these beautiful stories. But there's that contemplative dimension too, and it just struck yeah. me as I was listening to you telling all those stories that you also went home every night after being in the hospital, caring in such a, a challenging environment. How is it that you seek consolation and keep cultivating compassion and continue to be courageous yourself during times like this? Yes, I think, um, look, community is so important and, and, um, and, and prayer, of course, is so important. So you do go home um, to like-minded people, you know, and, and it's our life, you know, um, and it's such a your vocation if this is what God's calling to you. It's such a gift, mm. but but you do you do you go home? You go home to your sisters. Um, you might do it in different ways now. There might be sisters living side by side, but they're all under the one roof. You know, there's many many ways of doing it. But you're with like-minded people, mm. and you're able to encourage at that time at that time of HIV AIDS, we had the most wonderful community leader um, at St Vincent's Hospital, um, Sydney, and she'd be waiting for us when we came home of a night time, whether we were a sister in the hospital in pastoral care, whether we were nursing, whether uh, myself, the director of nursing, or Sister Mari, the sister administrator, and she would say, you know, how was your day? And, And... I don't know that she and, – and she wasn't a nurse herself. And, you know, we were able to share those stories and we were able to help each other because we are very human and and, and, and um, at, at, at times, you know, people can get under your skin and you think, well, I've got to treat them just like everybody else. But to be able to share this happened or this is what they said and somebody else said, look, it would be good if you went around it this way or if you did this or you did that, you know. Um, and there is that unity with regard that we do pray together, you know, we've got the divine office and we've got other, uh, this this sharing together. And it's, it's not about a competition. It's about we're all um, here, we're all being Jesus and um, we learn so much from each other. Mm. We're always learning. Uh, and uh, you can help. You can, Sometimes I might be the one that's down and somebody will say something or come along, are you okay? And you're just able to say, no, I'm not. And you have no idea how that helps. Mm. Um, you know, you don't have to be the sister administrator or the director of nursing or the congregational leader. You we're just one with and wherever one of us are, we all are. Mm. Yes. Mm. And, and it's, um, you know, I think, Dan, as I get older, I just think, oh, you're always, I'm always learning, you know. And even our beautiful sister Virginia, who, whom we shared so many wonderful stories about yesterday, somebody shared that she was 16 years of age when she entered the convent. Um and I didn't know that. And one of the nurses from St Vincent's um, uh, um, private, she sent me this lovely message. 
she often relieves our healthcare coordinator when she's away on holidays. And she sent me this lovely message and she said, I've just heard about Sister Virginia dying, Claire. And she said, you know, I always thought about Sister Virginia. 72 years in religious life. She knew what she was doing when she entered the convent. She was a real true sister of charity. And I thought, what a lovely um, sharing, uh, you know, that, that we, we, we can live with each other and we don't know each other, yeah. you know. So at uh, this time of our life, we're getting to know each other more and more. That's beautiful. What a beautiful reflection on the, the power and the... Um, mm. the, the love that exists in a, in a community like that and how it can support through through challenging times. And we've been sharing some beautiful stories, Sister Claire. I wonder is, um, and this is a question I've asked everyone who's come on to the podcast, is there a particular story of St Vincent's that comes to mind for you when you hear the words that frame up this podcast, Compassion, Courage and Consolation? The, um, at St Vincent's, Sydney, we had uh, this um, 21-bed, patient program for, for, for people from the men and women from the Solomon Islands. Mm. And when I, when I was thinking about this question, this story came to my mind and they had to be people who could be cured. We couldn't, they used to come down, they recommended, it was a, a memorandum of understanding with the Solomon Island Health Department, uh, the um, health department here in, in Sydney and St Vincent's Hospital um, and they had to be assessed and they had to be able to be cured they, because we couldn't send them back to the Solomon Islands for, for palliative care or chemotherapy or, or, or you, you understand what I'm saying. Mm. We had this beautiful man come down, this is a few years ago now, um, and uh, his name was Lakoa. And he came down, query, um, stone in his kidney. Uh, and, and we used, to, we had a, a um, terrace house around in um, Liverpool Street, I think it was, um, that was specially for the, for the men and women from the Solomon Island patient program. In the beginning, Sister Deidre Hickey and myself, we, um, we live in a Terrace House at um, 6264 West Street, just right opposite um, uh, the mental health facility there. And um, we have women staying with us who have relatives sick in hospital um, and they stay with us and they go over and care for their loved ones. Now, before we set up a house for the Solomon Island uh, men and women, they, the women used to come and stay with us and so, so we knew them very well and we loved them. So Lakoa comes and he, as I said, came with a stone, suspected stone in his kidneys and he, he went into hospital and, um, of course, he wasn't a stone in the kidneys. He had quite severe kidney failure. And he couldn't go back to the Solomon Islands and eventually he went on dialysis and he was, he was with us as a patient um, in, in, in the house down at um, Leichhardt Street. Leichhardt Street, I um, He was with us for 18 months. Now, in that time, um, 
Lakoa's, we met Lakoa's wife and his children. They came down and uh, he, he was a very intelligent man, a beautiful man. And, of course, he became the advocate and the carer for all the others mm. who came from the Solomon Islands, you know. And um, then Lakoa um, asked Deidre and I to come and visit him. We were very close to him. And he said, sisters, I want to go home to die. I want to stop the dialysis. Now, he worked. He was quite um, a significant f figure in his own community. He loved the Solomon Islands. And he worked with Coca-Cola. So he was, as I said, he was quite a significant uh, figure. And, and he, you know, when his sons would come down, he'd talk to them about the importance of the love of country and education and oh he was he was a wonderful man so he said to Deidre and I he wanted to um to go home to die and he wanted us to talk to his specialist uh, about that and also Anthony Shembury had just arrived as the CEO of um St Vincent's Hospital, mm. Sydney, and Deidre and I had taken Anthony down to the Solomon Island patients to meet them, and um, and he was he was very impressed with this wonderful service and, and the care that we gave. Um, so I said to Lakoa, we both said, um, look, Lakoa. Um, we've heard, we've heard what you've said. His wife was Jenny, and Jenny had just sent us an email. She'd gone, she'd gone home. Now by this stage, Lakoa had cancer as well as um, kidney problems, cancer of the bladder, um, and he was having dialysis and surgery, and he was a very, very sick man. And Jenny sent us an email and said to Deidre and I, Lakoa and I have had a discussion. And I support Lakoa wanting to come home to die. So we went to um, his specialist and um, we went to Anthony and we went to everybody else and we said um, this was Lakoa's wish. So everybody worked together like the, the specialists looked at their trust funds and how they could get, maybe he needed, we, we, certainly we needed somebody to go with him. Um, the pastoral care department were involved in it. Everybody at St Vincent's Public Hospital was involved in it. And they just had a window of opportunity. We, we you know, we stopped the dialysis um, and then got him onto a plane that evening and he had to be up in the Solomon Islands by by Monday because he was he, he couldn't live without dialysis. Mm -hmm. He would die on that Monday. So um, you know, we 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 had he had all these visitors and we had all these prayers and we had the doctors getting into their trust funds to get the ticket and do, and we had a, a um a person, a nurse to go to go with him. We had bought his they the, the doctors did this and the staff at St Vincent's fundraising and whatever to get the family down to to a place um, because he would only be able to give his 
last speech sort of business and 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 die there um and it all it it, it all happened he was out at the airport he sent us a text um and he was at peace and oh it was the saddest thing of course for Deidre and I and he got up there Dan he got there um on the say it was the Sunday morning and the the nurse that went with him had all the drugs and all the every other thing and um, we got the message that afternoon that he'd spoken to everybody they were all there at the airport he had to go through Brisbane too you know he had to get off the plane in Brisbane and then get on the plane to the Solomon Islands and that's that's a story so his sons his daughter his wife his extended family and he 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 actually it was like the sermon on the mount mm. what lakoa said to them but Deidre and i knew what he was going to say to them he shared it all with us and he died he died that evening um we've got beautiful photos of lakoa everywhere but that that was like the pharmacist everybody everybody on that campus even dear bob you know, he got him out in the ambulance, and I look. It, it, it's a story, and there are many, many stories like that. But that's a story that really um, stays with me when when I was thinking about that question. Yeah, that came straight away. It's, that it, came straight it's, away. It's, yeah, it, uh, it captures that everyone's involved, and it's it's everyone's pulling out involved. all stops yeah. with the and the person at the centre, isn't it? Yeah, the person at the centre and his family, yeah, you know, it's yeah. so far away, Absolutely. so far away. Yeah, and yeah. Sister Claire, for that, for stories like that, um, and there are so many of them, as you say, we have a history at St Vincent's that we're really proud of and we've heard that come through again and again in this podcast, but also in so many, so many of the formation activities and all of the remembering we do around our services. Coming back to this moment in time, the COVID-19 pandemic, how do you think this moment in time in our history will be reflected on in our future? Look, uh, you know, we have a, a um, publication called Kit, Keep in Touch, and, and, and we've just got our, it's just come on my desk now, today, this morning, and we've got, you know, we've got photos of the Spanish flu and people at St Vincent's and what ministers said and what was in the paper. Um, you know, the stories that I've heard about the now in the, in, in the pandemic now and um, the chairman, your, your chairman of St Vincent's Health Australia um, shared some of these with Richard Haddock, who, who's the chair of Mary Aiken Head Ministries, and myself. Mm. He was just touching base with us. But the stories that he was telling us of the, of the support that St Vincent's Health, not only in aged care, in helping aged care facilities um, that were struggling and that had many people with mm. the pandemic, you know, but working with government, working with staff, doctors, you know, um, giving of their time, staff giving them, giving of their time, you know, out of time when you were setting up your where to go and get the test done and all of that. I think the stories are going to be magnificent. And I said to the chairman, um, or Richard may have said it to Paul, oh, Paul, 
that'll be wonderful if we can share that. People wouldn't know that. And Paul said, no, no, not at this time, not at this time. We don't, you know, we don't need it to be shared. Um, we just need to ensure that um, we are doing the very best for our people, our people in aged care, our people in education, our people wherever, um, and always reaching out to others. And it made me think, when we first established the, um, it was called Sisters of Charity Health Service, I think, in the beginning, when we set up a national board for, um, for health and um, we set up our, our vision statement and our mission statement, which 200 of the staff were involved in and everything. Our vision was about creating healthier communities for the love of God. Mm. That was our vision. And we had all the steps down about working with government and working with you know, Catholic health care and doing this and doing that. And I, got, I caught that vision when Paul was sharing with us Good on you, St Vincent Health Australia. This is really Catholic health care. This is really the healing ministry of Christ, doing what we do best, caring, caring for people, going to those, sharing our expertise. And, you know, Dan, when I've got a sister who's sick or a relative of one of our sisters who's sick, the doctors, the nursing staff, the administration, they can't do enough for us. Mm. They are so proud and in the right sense of the word and so appreciate the story and the charism that they are continuing today that they want us to live forever. We're not going to, you know. <laughs> but they want us to live forever. And um, that's that's... That's what overwhelms me, um, you know, as I, as I try to lead our congregation and as I try to celebrate who we are now and our sisters, um, you know, for a long time our sisters have felt, oh, gee, we can't run the hospitals anymore. Who are we? Who are we if, if we're not running schools or hospitals? Now, now. They're delighted. Mm. They're absolutely comfortable and they're absolutely delighted in our role now as women religious, mm. um, still being the prayers, still living in community uh, and being the deep listeners. Mm. Um, and I just feel very – and I, I, you probably know the stories that Paul shared with us, but we will be able to share them one day. Mm. And it's, and it's very much around what happened in the Spanish flu and, and the government have written up in, in, in the paper, you know, about these, um, these religious congregations and, 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 and what they did during the... And they pay tribute to the Sisters of Charity. I am sure we will be able to pay tribute to, as you're from St Vincent's Health Australia... Not that you're looking for it. Mm, yeah. It's, but it's, those it's, stories it's, will be told. And if you hadn't have done it, nobody else would have done it. Mm. You know? I, and I think that's what Mary Aikenhead used to always accentuate. Poverty wasn't about people without money. It was the respect 
and dignity that we offered to everyone. Mm. That was the important thing. The important thing was the relationship. And, um, and that's what I have felt during this pandemic, just listening to, to, you know, the staff of St Vincent's Health Australia because I park my car in St Vincent's Mental Health so I, I see the, 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 the um, car attendant of a morning, I've got to wash my hands and <laughs> wipe over the, 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 the car and do everything and, and they're all just so happy doing what they're mm-hmm. doing. Oh, that's um, that's beautiful, yeah. and it does. It really echoes, doesn't it? Some of those wonderful yeah. stories from the past, but it's also the this sense of we do what we do because it's the right thing to do, not to show off. And if the history uh, books absolutely. capture it one day, that's great. But it's yeah. it's worthy because it's the right thing to do. Sister Claire, we're coming to the end of our our time. I've just got two more questions um, for you. The first one is is a question about well, what would you say to us as as we continue the mission now, especially as we find out our way into the next phase of the pandemic and, and dare I say, out of it. What would you say? What advice do you have for our group as we continue the mission now? Yeah, I, I think we've just got to um, sit down and, and say, what have we learned? What have we learned uh, from, from, from this time, you know, from this time? Like, as I say to the sisters, <laughs> we wouldn't have gone online, uh, Sisters of Charity Portal, to get ready for the next chapter if the pandemic hadn't have come, doing things differently. And, and I think there's so many lessons to be learned. I was talking to Anthony, it's a couple of months ago now, in, in the early days after, um, after Easter, and, and he was just sharing with me in that short time you know, what they were learning and how. And the other thing, um, Dan, is that I was so delighted because we, when we established the health service, we said one national unified health service. I got a glimpse of a national unified, unified health service, you, you know, during this pandemic. I, I celebrated it. Um, St Vincent's Melbourne, I thought it was great over Easter. You know, they had a whole lot of in their fundraising, I think it possibly came from. But they had all these wonderful stories and then they had down the bottom, if people wanted to donate, press the button. But they were all wonderful um, Easter stories and Easter celebrations. You know, that just came because Sister Deidre and I funded Sister Mary Ann Compoy when she used to go on walkathons and things mm-hmm. like that. We're considered a, a, um, a donor at St Vincent's Hospital Melbourne. So they were sending all these just little stories and then if people wanted to donate. And it, and it, really, it really touched us deeply because... They were the they were the story that that that, that, that that's the story mm. of um, St Vincent's health that that is being continued today. So I don't want them to get fatigued. Mm. I want them to be able to spend time to reflect on what lessons we've learned and maybe do things differently. Mm. Maybe there's lots of things we can learn from it, but never 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 take their focus off off the patient, the families, the homeless. You know, um, when you talk about about your mission with with the um, mentally ill and and, um, 
and disadvantaged, you know. I know the health department give you a budget for that and your wonderful work that you're doing out in the prisons, which we are delighted, so delighted, but you get a grant from um, government or whatever. But, you know, the T&E houses and the HIV houses and the Solomon Island patient program, you don't get any grants for that. So that comes out of you, you know, and um, what what can we what can we what is the next phase from the pandemic and of course I'd have to uh, I'd have to be Deidre and I again we were on a, a zoom for Garvin because we're just down the road from Garvin and we're the we're the renter nuns for Garvin <laughs> Deidre and I and we just love them but all the research and the mm. and the sharing that they have done just in, like they identified there was something going on in January. So they didn't let staff travel overseas. They didn't let people come in from overseas. You know, just the wisdom and the sharing of their knowledge and their and their gifts and talents to make it so easy for us to grasp and to understand. Um, and, if, and if we can understand it, then the public can understand it. And the loved ones of the patients can understand it. So it, it, we've got a fantastic health service. Mm. Um, St Vincent's Health Australia, you know, it, it, it's just a wonderful health service and it encompasses all people. And um, I just ask a, a, a blessing that we're able to continue that. Mm, reading the signs of the times that's beautiful and yeah holding holding all those precious people at the center as you say well sister yeah. claire there's a final question i've asked everyone on the podcast um and it's a simple one but quite a lot of our people from around our services listen to the podcast in aged care the private hospitals and the public hospitals all the way from queensland your home home state up there through New South Wales and Victoria and some others in the community as well who've been listening on. What would you like to say to all of our St Vincent staff at this time? I'd just like to congratulate them on, on their wonderful uh, caring and compassion and the mission is continuing and I would just ask them to really take care of themselves so that they can continue as they do so selflessly and with such joy, that living of the joy of the gospel and caring for all who come needing love and needing care. Sister Claire Nolan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much, Dan. All the very best. You've been listening to Compassion, Courage, Consolation. Voices for St Vincent's during COVID-19. This podcast series has been developed by St Vincent's Health Australia. For more information about St Vincent's, visit www.svha.org.au. The music for this podcast comes from Kevin McLeod. His track, Bittersweet, let us in and you can hear his track, Touching Moments 1 now. Kevin's website is incompetech.filmmusic.io and the music is brought to you under the Creative Commons 4.0 license. All of this information and more is provided in the text accompanying this podcast. 
Thanks for listening.